This here major spoiler podcast is brought to you by Karina Noor, which I believe was also the name of the space station on Deep Space Nine. In Cardassian, it means faithful spoilerite. This one goes out to you. Major Spoilers theme song! The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Pod- on, on the air. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. On the air. Pod, pod, podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen. If you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, 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 The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Hey everyone, welcome to a special edition of the Major Spoilers Podcast, part of our fifth birthday celebration. Special, special, special. We've got uh, a bunch of podcasts and a bunch of episodes coming out your way this week, uh, all having to do with the number five. In fact, top five. So each bonus episode that you're getting this week has top five. What's in the box? What's in the Has top five in the title. So this one, top five movies from the 1980s. Top five movies from the 1980s. Here we go. We're going to start at number five and <laughs> work our way up to number way one. <laughs> Matthew, number five for you. Number five is a movie by a misunderstood, tortured genius. A man who's, who's really, his, his way with words translated onto the screen and really kind of transcended the whole juxtaposition of images and frame rate and all of the reality of the film to take you to a faraway place, a world that could only be called U-H-F. Weird Al Yankovic's U-H-F is my number five movie. Love this film. Mm -hmm. When I was in, I want to say early college, actually, this was one of my major touchstones on the universe. The the uh, actual the soundtrack album is killer, but the movie itself has so many just particularly ridiculous moments. The guy who played Long Duck Dong, yes, is in this film, and he he runs the dojo next door to Al's apartment. And there's this running gag where there you know people keep crashing through the wall. At one point, he's like, "What time is it?" And a fist smashes through the wall, and he looks at the watch. He's like, three o'clock." <laughs> <laughs> and there's that one, you know, the whole thing. Um, I I want to say it was uh, the guy from Seinfeld as Stanley Spadowski, but I don't think it was. But uh, Stanley no, Spadowski's Playhouse. Yeah, Michael Richards. He was in there. Yeah. Was it Michael? It was Kramer. Yeah. You get to drink from the fire hose. <laughs> the best part is I actually worked at small market television stations throughout Kansas, and that is exactly what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 10, 10 clueless people trying to figure out what goes on the air, and occasionally you get a hit, and you don't know why. Wheel of fish! <laughs> Red snapper, very tasty! <laughs> All right, Rodrigo, what is number five on your list? Movies from the 80s. Number five for me is Young Guns. Um, now this Wake movie... Up in the morning. This movie has a lot oh, of people who then went on to be very, very famous. Or James Arm almost. Yeah. Emil- just just the, the, Emilio the, the... Yeah, Emilio Estevez, Kiefer Sutherland, Lou Diamond Phillips. Okay, so not all of them. Charlie yep. Sheen, and then two other guys. Casey <laughs> Shemasco. Yep. And, and uh, uh, Dermot Mulroney. 
Dermot Mulroney. What wasn't Who's, he on? He's uh, around. He's, he's no. Yeah, he's now. Wasn't it Zod who played the the English guy who Terry ran their Stamp, little ranch? Yeah. John John Tustall or whatever yeah. the character's name was. Yeah, John Tunstall. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I gotta say, you Rodrigo, you say these are people that later went on to do great things. Half the people on this list who were the young guns were the big names of that time because Emilio yeah, Estevez true. had just, or not Emilio Estevez, uh, Lou Diamond Phillips had just done La Bamba. The, you know, La Bamba. Um, Emilio yeah, Estevez, Keeper Sutherland, uh, uh, Charlie Sheen, they'd all been the Brat Pack, so they'd mm-hmm. already been on movies. This was a big deal yeah. in the 80s, for, especially for the girls. Yeah. Ooh, we're gonna go Yay. see this. Uh, now, the thing that yeah, was the great. The guy from Lost is in it, too. Oh yeah, Locke from from Lost. I forget yeah, yeah. what his name actually yeah, is. Locke from Lost is in it as as yep. their friend. Yep. Now the the thing for me that was great about this movie is that um, that was the first time that I encountered anybody saying "old Mexico," referring to oh, yeah, the yeah. country of Mexico. Right, 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 right. Because they keep talking about them like going across the border to old Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why do they keep saying "old Mexico"? And I was like. Oh, because of New Mexico. Because at that point, New Mexico was pretty new. Yes, it was. So yeah, it's just a, it's yeah. a pretty enjoyable and it movie. Was it's also a pretty Mexico. It's a it's a pretty tragic. Like it's 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 kind of a tragedy yeah. all in all. And you don't. I mean, in in what is probably summer fair, mm-hmm. you don't see that all that much nowadays. Right in the eighties, that was a lot more common. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so, it, it has a really great storytelling technique that you don't see very often, which is the advancement of the plot by someone bursting into the room and screaming at the top of his lungs, Charlie's getting married! And then later on, somebody busts in, it's John Tunstall! And then all of a sudden, you cut to the action sequences. <laughs> yeah. They'll have these quiet moments, and then it's, and it's, Dirty Steve busts in and screams at the top know, of his lungs. I mean, it does have a style that you don't see very often, and that right. it's very episodic. Right, right, I right. mean, it's it builds a plot from all these little vignettes, but it's a lot of these guys traveling, these guys getting to know each other, these guys kind of coming to terms with each other, so on and so forth. I, I have never watched this movie, I'll admit, mm-hmm. because it was during my period of <gasps> I hate everything Westerns, mm-hmm. and so just never crossed my path to ever sit down and see that. Steve uh, wouldn't even go to a Gulf uh, gas station. When number, I- number five for me came out at the very beginning of the 80s, uh, featured this uh, continuation of a story about a young Jedi who was continuing on his Breaking path to become electric great. Boogaloo? That's what it was. Uh, no, I'm talking about Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back from 1980. Um, uh, probably, well, I mean, not counting the the the, the most recent uh, Star Wars movies, the darkest movie of the three. Now, I will always have uh, the original Star Wars movie, the 77 version as my all-time favorite Star Wars. But when you come to a dark, disturbing, uh, glossy look of 80s films, Empire Strikes Back is it for me. Now, the thing that I like best about Empire Strikes Back, not the big revelation of who Luke's father really is, but the fact that I went to go see that with my dad. My dad took some time off work. He's like, hey, let's go up to Lawrence. Let's go to the movie theater, one of these big majestic palaces, which is now, I think, a, a clothing store now or a dance club. I forget which one it is. Um, let's go see that. And we got up there and the movie was already sold out. And the next one was at 10 o'clock and I was at 10 at the time. No way was my dad going to let me stay up past midnight, but he did. He says, Hey, let's go get some dinner. Let's go do some shopping. Then we'll come back and we'll watch this at the 10 o'clock show. Yes. You're going to get home late. We won't worry about that. And we had a great time. And that's why 
Empire Strikes Back is one of my five favorite movies from the 80s. And of course, it's got Darth Vader saying, no, Luke, I am your father. Number four, Matthew, for you. <laughs> he doesn't actually say, Luke, I am your father. He just says, I am your father. Plus, it's for got me, that great puppet. He actually was, says, it is I who is somewhat related to you, possibly by is, siring you. It is the I who is the I who is your father. No, and he was he saying, says, remember that girl you kissed in the last episode? <laughs> it was your sister. And Princess <laughs> Leia is your sister. And when I was a child, I built C-3PO. <laughs> no. Uh, number four Look, for you, Matthew. Not- <laughs> number four for Matthew. There was a time, and I've spoken of this before. Where I did not have cable, but what? my wife a time did not like to cable? go to sleep in. I know she didn't like to go to sleep in our house without sound because that the house was particularly drafty, and it made this noise. It's literally our house sounded like a 1967 episode of Scooby Doo at all friggin' time. So we would go to bed, and she would put on a movie, right? And she, she would set a timer on the thing, and the movie would play, so we wouldn't hear, like Scoop, we better get out of here. <laughs> and, of course, this is where my love of Groundhog Day, which is a 90s movie, comes from. But also, my love of Val Kilmer's Piece de Resistance, 1985's Real Genius. One of the love funniest that movie. movies. It's so underrated. It's so smart, underrated. I've never funny. seen it. Yeah. yeah. So many people have not. It's, it's actually a really good story. Basically, um, it's the story of a young man named Mitch who goes to college at like the age of 16. And he goes to Pacific Tech, which is essentially Caltech, MIT, the kind of place where they'll disassemble your car and put it in your room as a gag. Mm-hmm. And they actually do and it in the movie. His, he ends up, <laughs> yeah, he ends up rooming with Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer, as Chris Knight, of course, is the former smartest man on campus. And Val, everybody thinks has snapped, but basically he's just decided to relax and enjoy himself because he realizes when you're smart, people need you. And the, the whole movie gets this really weird, dark subplot, and they overcome it by being fun and entertaining and silly, basically kids. But there's a couple of just epic movie moments. Um, at one point, he accidentally, well, intentionally, freezes over the entire floor of the wing for the Winter Carnival, so he's skating up and down the hallway. And then at one point, he's like, how long is the ice going to last? Oh, maybe another half hour. It'll go straight to gas as long as we can keep it from exploding. <laughs> and then there's yeah, a big Jiffy Pop gag at the end of the movie. So you'll want to tune the in. The Jiffy that. Pop gag is killer. And the, the moment where um, Severn Darden, who's one of my favorite underrated actors, is uh, holding court at the, the very first function. And he's doing this quintessential professor. And so help me God, I think of Jay Gillette every time when he's, he's like, Always, never forget to check your references. And I just, I, I love that moment because the professor comes away from that. And goes, I think the students enjoy it when I get down with them verbally. <laughs> and of course, everybody's just staring at him like, like he grew a second head. Great movie. You need to check it out, Rodrigo, especially, it's, I think it's on Netflix. Yeah. Just sit down on. and watch the thing with some popcorn. It's awesome. Yep. All right, thank you, Matthew. Rodrigo, number four. Number four for me is The Little Mermaid. Oh, you know what? That came out in 1989. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was great. That came out. Uh, <laughs> oh, great movie, Rodrigo. Great yeah. pick. 
It you know it it's, yeah, it's the it's the one that it's it it was the Disney relaunch. It was. It's it, it's what started it all. Yeah, yep. they gave Disney back its life. It's got the a studios penis on were the about cover, to close. But we don't hold that against mm-hmm. it. Studios were about to close, and this movie came out. They took a big risk on it. They put it out during the holiday season, and people went in droves to see this movie about oh, yeah. a Little Mermaid turning into a girl. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty spectacular, and you know it. Everybody knows what's great about the Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. So instead, I will tell you what I hated about the Little Mermaid. <laughs> um, and it's not even the movie itself. My dad, and I was in Mexico when when the Little Mermaid came out. My dad went to the United States on a business trip, and now that I think of it, my dad might have gone to the United States for a job interview. Oh, okay. Um, which is why I eventually ended up here. This is just speculation that I don't know. Um, but Mr. He Lopez, brought, please write in and tell he us. He brought the me. Answer. He brought Nintendo games for my it's sister and for me. Mine was Super Mario Brothers three. Right. My sister's was the Little Mermaid video game. Ah. Um. So, I played Mario Brothers three, and that was awesome. And you know, my sister started playing the Little Mermaid, but she a she didn't like video games, and b it was a hard game. So she didn't get very far. So I was like, all right, I'll give this Little Mermaid game a try. It, and it was a lot of fun, actually. Right. The problem with it is that every song was under the sea. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, like, you'd be playing, and it's like the first level was like, all right, fine, whatever. Then you would go to the next level, and it was like a sea or a, a, a um a, an ice level, and you'd get like little tinkling noises, like ding 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 ding. It's like all right, well now you finally get to the final boss, and it's you know Ursula, and you have to fight, and it's like bum 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 bum. So now every time I every time I hear under the sea, I start getting this twitch because I heard it so many times and trying to beat this video game, and eventually. I did, um, but of course the ending is just a, a poorly animated version of the actual ending to The Little Mermaid. Yeah, yeah. Oh, awesome. Oh, big pick. Uh, for me, my number four. Have you seen the... Uh, Go ahead, Matthew. Go ahead. Have we seen the sequels? Have you seen the... the no, the recut version where someone was uh, singing about what she really wanted when she came up to the earth? No. no, no. It, it starts with a V and rhymes with Regina. Nice. All right, number four for well me. I, I... Also involves my father. Um, again, I, I'm like Matthew in the 80s. I didn't have cable television. Uh, we had Ariel. We picked up ABC, NBC, CBS, two PBS <laughs> stations. Had Ariel too. Yeah, I just, I just went through that. <laughs> and uh, so we didn't have Rodrigo's things like joke? we didn't have things like uh, HBO or Showtime or anything like that. Uh, but we did have a VCR, and my dad brought home one day. He stopped at the uh, video store on the way home from work, and he just said, "Hey, here's this movie." Thought maybe you'd get a kick out of it. And I'm like, okay, what is it? Buckaroo Bonsai across the eighth dimension. I'm like, I've never heard of this movie. He's like, yeah, neither have I, but hey, it was cheap and I uh, figured I'd uh, let you watch it for a few days. I'm like, okay. Sat down, popped it in, fell in love with mm-hmm. the story. You're talking about uh, Young Guns with its cast of characters. Mm-hmm. The cast in Buckaroo Bonsai, Peter Weller, who would go on to be uh, Robo Robocop. You've got um, Penny Pretty, uh, uh, um, Bar- Barker Baker. I forget what her name is. Um, you had um, Christopher uh, uh, Third Rock from the Sun. John Lithgow. John Lithgow in it. Uh, you had um, all the John Big Boutes. Right. You had John Lithgow in, in the piece. Mm-hmm. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. You had, um, if I remember correctly, I think a very young 
Hellboy was in that movie Ron as Perlman? well. Ron Perlman was in what that about, movie. What about the 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 guy who gets killed in it? He's been in other stuff too. Uh, Clancy Brown. Clancy, Clancy Brown. Brown. Yeah, yeah. One. That's who. That's who I was. I'm thinking. sorry. I just yeah, spoiled it for you guys. He's the voice of Lex Luthor. Yeah. Ellen Barkin, that's who I was thinking of, Penny Pretty. Christopher Lloyd was in it. Right. Uh, uh, Lewis Smith. Um, uh, Ronald Lacey. Clancy Brown, we already mentioned. Ronald uh, Reagan. Uh, Nancy Reagan. Yeah, yeah. Nancy Reagan. It just, when you take, I mean, it's a, Tori when you Amos. look at it now, you can tell that it was a a spoofy attempt at looking at sci-fi adventure movies. Mm-hmm. But they play it very seriously. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of gags throughout in, in that piece. Um and it is a cult phenomenon today. I mean, it spun off a new comic book series. They, I was so disappointed that they never uh, came up with a sequel to that movie. Yeah. Uh, but Specifically the, because they tease it at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the big thing. But I love that ending theme song, the Buckaroo Bonsai theme song. You want to you wanna go to a... Buckaroo uh, Bonsai. <laughs> You, you want to go to a, a big uh, um, aqueduct thing and yes, walk yes. around with your friends in yes, different exactly. directions? Exactly. And then, That's actually uh, the Los Angeles my, River. Have yeah. my name graffitied on the wall as, mm-hmm. as we turn and walk as the credits roll past. Just a fantastic, fun movie. It's one that I was so glad when they came out with it on uh, DVD because my VHS copy just ran out. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic movie. Just love every, every minute of it. Matthew, number three. Number three, number three, number three, number three, number three. My number three is actually a lot more mainstream of a movie than I usually admit to loving. But when I was a kid, I wanted to be one of three people. I I, I wanted to be for a while, and, and I'm ashamed to say this, Wolverine. But that didn't work out for me because I realized, wow, that's just crap. And then for a while, I really kind of wanted to be Hulk Hogan. And that didn't work out for me either because, well, I couldn't handle the booze. But then I wanted to be John Bender. So for me, my number three has to be The Breakfast Club, uh, John Hughes movie from, I, w- I want to say, 84, 85, yeah, I think, I think like that's that. about right, yeah. Yeah. Shermer, Illinois, 85. March 24th, 1985. Yeah. Yep. We accept the fact that we have to sacrifice our whole Saturday in detention for whatever we did wrong. But you see us as you want to see us in the simplest terms and the most convenient definitions. I love that whole movie. Because it's not what high school was like, but it has enough truth in it to where your high school experience is probably name-checked in there. I, I mean, I really love the character bits in what was essentially kind of just a frothy teen movie. But the point where Anthony Michael Hall admits that he was trying to kill himself with a flare gun. Yeah. And it's more Emilio Estevez, and Emilio Estevez has this thing, and... You know that it's doomed. You know that come Monday, these five kids are going to come back to school. And even if they tried to come together and transition, you know, past the high school cliques, it's going to crash and burn and it's never going to work out. And Claire and Bender are terrible. And you still respect the two hours of the movie for what it is. You know, these, these kids at least trying to get over themselves and realize that everybody's effed up too. Love that movie. To me, it's probably John Hughes' best work. You know, right after uh, Baby's Day Off, I think. I'm just kind of going through everybody's uh, birth dates. Uh, I think Anthony Michael Hall and um, 
and Molly Ringwald were the only two that were actually high school age mm-hmm. when that uh, when that movie uh, came out because uh, everybody yeah. else was already. I like want to say Judd Nelson was like fifty six. <laughs> Ali Sheedy was Ali Sheedy was like twenty three. Postmenopausal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, oh, excellent movie there, Matthew. About the Breakfast Club. Emilio Estevez actually is Martin Sheen, his father. <laughs> he just changed his name for tax purposes. Rodrigo number three. All right, number three for me um, used to be just a, a guilty pleasure, but now I just will proudly say that there's a great movie from the 80s, Breaking 2, oh, yeah. Electric Boogaloo. Now, you uh, you actually had you and your girlfriend sit down and watch yep, this, right? She, uh, we, and I made her watch Breaking first, and then we watched uh, Electric Boogaloo. Um, the, 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 and, and Electric Boogaloo is partially great because of the original Breaking, right. in that... It's great how it's a sequel that largely ignores most of the stuff that happened in the first one. Right. Because people that they started to get along with in the first one are enemies again. And, uh, you know, by the end of the first movie, they have a major hit on Broadway. Right. And then at the beginning of the second movie, they're a bunch of schmucks again. (laughs) It's like either they just blew it all on drugs or, or it never happened, right? Or Ozone's hat collection. Yeah, exactly. Now this time they had to go and save the rec center. Right? right, that's the one where they have to dance to save the rec center. It's it's pretty pretty spectacular. Just in actually, how many movies after it? And I mean, I don't know if, how original this plot was when it came out, but how many movies after it had basically copied that same plot of let's take something popular and use it to save a rec center? I mean, there a movie. Like Lombada, the Forbidden Dance right, right, right. has the same plot. Right, right, right. Um, it, literally the same plot since they do it by dancing as well. It's interesting. Uh, Break into Electric Boogaloo came out in 1984, mm-hmm. the same year that Footloose came out. Yeah, two musicals in the same year that I were. Think it's actually the same year that Breaking came out. <laughs> <laughs> they both came out the same year. I clearly remember that. Oh, uh, let's look here. Breaking. Break in 1984. You're right. Wow. Both movies came out in the same year. I, must have I been was such not a huge, aware of that. Must have been such a huge hit that. Uh, well, that and, and clearly, if you look at the way these people are dressed, they did it on a shoestring budget. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because all you need for the movie is hot jams. Yeah. Which people are willing to provide for free to right. to get themselves known, like right. a young iced tea, parachute pants. Right. And Half people that are good dancers and are used to dancing for spare change. Yep. So there are a lot of awesome dances. Breaking, so, Breaking, and Breaking Two are actually are actually important movies as far as dance goes. Right, right. I was. I mean, about Adolfo that. Quinones or Adolfo Shabadu Quinones is is currently still a major choreographer, I believe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Boogaloo Shrimp is not big into choreography right now, but for a while he was. Well, that's what I was going to say. Uh, the thing that people, uh, even though we joke about this, mm-hmm. jokey gimmick for the for the story, jokey title. Yep. Um, but the fact that you don't go to watch like Step Up or you know the the marching band sh- mm-hmm. you know, movies that are out today, you don't go to them for the story. You go to watch the dancing yep. and to listen to the music. Yep. And so for that part, you're right. The choreography in these movies is mm-hmm. awesome. Oh, it is really, really awesome. Okay, number three. I'm not going to say that that's an excellent choice, but that's your choice. Uh, but it is a it is a good movie <laughs> from the dance perspective. I'll say it's excellent <laughs> for me. Number three, Back to the Future. One day, Marty McFly wasn't in his time at all. Something about this movie just still 
today. Mm-hmm. I will sit down and watch this. I, I got the entire Blu-ray co- collection when it came out not too long ago, transferred it all over to my iPad so I could watch it when I'm going on trips. Uh, the story of time travel, and time travel is always one of my big favorite subjects, uh, but a teenager who gets lost in time, has to make sure that his parents fall in love so that he will be born, uh, a crazy professor, you know, uh, you know, the time machine is a DeLorean, mm-hmm. uh, the whole 1950s vibe, just boom, 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 really, really hit home for me. Robert Zemeckis, I think, did an exceptional job uh, with this film, and certainly one of, one of my favorites from, from 1980, Back to the Future. So, there you go. Matthew, we are down into our top two. Top two, top two, top two, top two, top two. Well, I refuse to talk about my number two because you spoiled it. Why well, spoiled it? What do you mean? 1984's Ghostbuster ah. <laughs> is my number two. Harold Ramis, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, and uh, the other guy, uh, Arsenio Hall. Oh. <laughs> Fighting ghosts and the EPA and yes, it's true. <laughs> the this EPA. man has no dick. <laughs> the you whole, the whole movie, just the entire thing. This was this was a game changer. For weeks afterwards, people would talk about nothing else. It was Ghostbusters all to the point where I remember our science teacher literally just blowing up and freaking out that we were still talking about Ghostbusters and just yelling her, her creepy little, you know, elderly virgin brains out at us. And I'm just, just, I was gobsmacked at how impressive this was. And I, you know, I was at the point where I didn't care for movies. Movies were stupid. They were all stupid. But man, if this one wasn't brilliant. I, I do like Ghostbusters because it's one of those times where practical effects are still super, super important mm-hmm. in film. And a majority of the effects in Ghostbusters are practicals. Yes. Uh, Slimer is a big rubber puppet. Uh, the uh, books floating across are on strings. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, cards flying out of the library stacks uh, is an air blower blowing that stuff up, right? Uh, the only time that you really see some uh, CG computer generated type effects are when the um, the containment chamber explodes and all of the um, mm-hmm. and all of the uh, uh, lens flares go flying across New York City. Uh, and yes, uh, to an extent, the um, the That's proton packs. Right. Yes, I figured uh, the proton packs. <laughs> you know that wasn't computer generated. Uh, effects coming out of there. That was still hand-painted type effects in 1984. Mm-hmm. And so you really have to appreciate that movie because when you compare it to Ghostbusters 2, which came out in what, like 90... Was it 92? No, Ghostbusters 2 no, came out 95. in 89. Five years later, mm-hmm. you see a huge change in how the effects were done in that movie to maybe not such a great great acclaim. So You don't like Vigo the Carpathian? <laughs> I just didn't like the effects of that. Where are you from? The Upper West Side. <laughs> I but if you if you watch that first movie, it has all the elements of a cult classic film. Yeah, it does. I mean, it should it by all rights, it should have been, you know, Evil Dead. It should have been something little and it just blew up. Mm-hmm. And you know, a particularly well, obnoxious thing that I happen to know, Ivan Reitman is the voice of both Slimer and Zool in the movie. Oh, cool. Which is 
Well, you know, really, I the think the whole movie like, is. And Zool goes like this. I think uh, Bill Murray is the one that made the the movie as successful as it was. Not saying that um, Dan Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd, and Harold Ramis. Um, and of course, Ernie Hudson mm-hmm. didn't bring a lot to the movie because you know, Moranis. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Rick Moranis. Uh, it's not saying that they didn't bring a lot to the movie, but you know, Dan Aykroyd. One time, humor, I got turned into a dog, and these guys helped me. Dan Aykroyd's humor is very dry mm-hmm. in that piece. Um, uh, uh, Harold Ramis's is also Aykroyd's very dry, but yeah. Murray just comes out as this this. A really good comedic role. Right. And I think that's what brought the audiences in to see that and to laugh and to just mm-hmm. get a good well, chuckle out of it. So uh, Ghostbusters and up on look, Matthew's top two. If you look two. at that triad, yeah, the triad of those three characters without Venkman, without Bill Murray's character, the others would never have been able to monetize what they did and turn right. it into the scam. I mean, business that it was. So that's what's really awesome about it. And then Arsenio Hall comes in. Yeah. All right, Rodrigo. Number two for you. I am ready to believe you. You're ready to believe me? I'm ready to believe you. That was a Ghostbusters line at the end of their commercial. We're ready to believe you. I forgot about that part because I saw it in Spanish. I did. Um, In Spanish, it says, Yo soy ready to create you. (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty good. I don't speak Spanish. So speaking of ghosts, (laughs) another great ghost movie from the 80s. Beetlejuice. Oh, yes. Beetlejuice. And then that one again. So, I'm a weird person, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's all right. Everybody knows this. I I try to, usually when I get to a new place, I try to hide it for a while and, you know, try to prepare people for it. And eventually it's just uh, very obvious. So, Beetlejuice is kind of amazing in that. It's it's really not like any other movies before or after it. It it makes no sense. Well, it's Tim Burton. It it creates its own little internal consistency, and that's what's that's what's important about it. Is that within the universe of Beetlejuice, all Mm -hmm. of these things make sense, but outside of it, they really don't. Right. Um, It features uh, two very attractive people. Uh, Michael Keaton. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Gina Davis and uh, <laughs> and Fiona Apple. Bill Baxter. Um, no, I'm sorry. That was wrong again. Um, but, uh, you know, like, you the special effects are, are insanely good. Right. Um, they hold up. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the giant sandworm is a little... Uh, 1980, 80? Well, well, it's a, it's a little... Uh, stop stop motion motiony yeah yeah um but everything else you know when they like grab their faces and like oh, yeah, stretch yeah. them out and you know all of the weird things you know when when beetlejuice comes out and he's like that weird um like merry-go-round monstrosity and stuff like that like yeah. everything is just so visually spot on so like everything was created with such care and detail and just literal madness was this? Um, was it this is Michael, entirely absurd. Hilarious. Was this Michael Keaton's last comedic role beyond know. voice work that he's done in Toy Story? No, he's done. He did like uh, that that movie where he was a clone. Oh yeah, that's right. Multiplicity. Uh, multiplicity. Yeah, he's, he's done, done several think, funny movies. Yeah, I was wondering after that because before that, you know, yeah. it was all comedy, 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 comedy. Beetlejuice hits. Then the next year, he's Batman. Yep. And then it's all serious thriller yep. roles after that. 
There was that movie that's like a weird romantic comedy where him and Christopher Reeve were going after the same girl. Oh, yeah, yeah. Multiplicity came out in 96, yeah, so. Interesting. Yeah, but yeah, I you think know Clean and Sober was before Beetlejuice. Okay. Um, you know, I agree with you. Beetlejuice is a great movie, and I remember seeing that in the theater with a bunch of my classmates. Mm-hmm. We went up for a, a trip, and everybody said, oh, let's go see this movie. Uh, the one thing that is bad about Beetlejuice is that you... If you've never seen Tim Burton before, and I forget when Edward Scissorhands came out, mm-hmm. but if you'd never seen Tim Burton before, later. yeah, it was later. Everything I, you yeah, introduced to every artistic style of Tim Burton for mm-hmm. the rest of rest of his movie career. It's, that's, it's that's true, the only thing. but I think that's partially because I mean, if you look at if you look at Batman, yeah, a Tim Burton joint, right? right. Batman doesn't look like Beetlejuice. Not there quite, are there are things about that, it. It has the that problem, Tim Burtony f- gloss on it. The problem is, is that Beetlejuice was very Tim Burton. Right. Then he did Batman, right? And Batman was Batman-ish with right. a Tim Burton. Uh, uh, what do I want to say? Uh, glaze. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, frosting. But, but then after that was so successful, Achita. they yes a. A Tim Burton patina. <laughs> Where did he touch you? Um, so, uh, well, he glazed you, so it, <laughs> clearly there was a lot of uh, a lot of issues there. In any case, wow. after after that, I'm trying to make you a are point both here, going to hell for that joke. <laughs> you started it. Um, <laughs> I didn't say I'm not going with you. <laughs> all right. Um, after that, they were just like, hey, Tim Burton, make more Tim Burton-y movies. Right, right, right. You know, as opposed to giving him a project and putting him on there as as a, as a director, sure, as a, right, you right. know, whatever creative, uh, whatever creatively he wanted to do. Um, but, you know, they, they just kind of let him run wild. And, you know, we got The Nightmare Before Christmas, which I think is a great movie. Yeah, out of the deal. But we also got Monkey Bone. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, You know yes. what I love most about Beetlejuice? What's what? that? Everybody mispronounces his name. They do? Or rather misspells it, I guess I should say. Yeah, his name is actually not spelled the way the movie spells it. Mm -hmm. There's a point where he's like, what's a Betelgeuse? And if you see it, there's like three points during the movie where it's spelled out like the galaxy or the star or whatever the star is. I don't know. I love that that little running gag where nobody actually spells his name right. It's kind of cool. Number two for me. Little Ralph Macchio action, Pat Morita action. Mm. It's a story about an underdog kid who's come from thrust into a new world that he doesn't quite understand, that he doesn't quite belong. And in two weeks, he learns how to become an expert karate champion. Nice karate kid. It's Rocky. (laughs) Kind of sort of it is. Kid, forgive me. It kind of is. I mean, it's. Real steel, except with a kid instead of a robot. <laughs> you know, again, Unless this is Hugh Jackman. A lot of the movies on my list, and I think we've talked about this before. And again, people who are listening are probably hearing these and going, "Well, these all sound familiar. We've heard these before in other episodes, and we have when we talk about our top ten movies of all time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera." For me, a lot of these movies wind up in my top five because they have some great memory connected to them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and for Karate Kid, it was being able to go to the movies by myself. This came out in 1984, so I was 14. So I had a, um, a temporary driver's license. You had it in Kansas. You can get a permit at 14 to mm-hmm. drive because people work on the farms. Right. So me and a bunch of other high school friends went to go see Karate Kid. We were in line. This is one of those movies that was so popular at the movie theater that they were counting the number of people and saying, okay, here's where this 
showing ends. Mm-hmm. And my group of friends got in at the very last. We were the last five people to get in to see the movie. We had to sit in the very, very front row. And it was a blast to see this movie because we didn't know anything about it except that it was karate, mm-hmm. you know? And then, of course, Elizabeth Shue pops up on the screen wearing this tight sweater, and you're like five feet away from the screen, and the screen's 20 feet high. <laughs> and suddenly it's like, I'm in love. <coughs> uh, but it's, it's a great little underdog yeah, story. Something. It's got some great themes going into it. It's got some, uh, I forget who did the, uh, the music for it. Um, oh, yes, you are the best. Yeah, no, 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 not that one. I'm talking about the, uh, the, the karate kid. Yeah, I'm talking about the instrumentals stuff. Um, oh, but, uh, that guy. Yeah, yeah. William Goldsmith. Lot. Is that who it is? Um, Mandy Patinkin. <laughs> Mandy Patinkin. Uh, it just, it's just a fun movie all around. And Elvis Costello. <laughs> I have refused to see the, uh, the Will Smith Jr. version of that mm. movie, just because this one is just so ingrained into my into my memory. Yeah. Again, it's another one that I'm glad I have it on DVD because it's ripped and it's sitting on my iPad right now mm-hmm. for me to watch. So maybe in the future we'll do a top five movies we can't can't, can't resist, can't, uh, yeah. and that would certainly be on it along with Push and Jumper. Uh, yep. But for me, and number it'll two, be the same five movies <laughs> probably will be uh, Karate Kid number because two for me. Stephen only watches five. Movies. I only watch five movies. All right, Matthew, we're down into the number ones. Down into the number ones. Yes. My number one was actually a toss-up. Okay. Because I had an argument which what should be my number one movie. And ironically, the movie that was arguing for number one actually ended up getting bumped down to number seven and does not appear on this list. Nice. That movie was Heather's. But the movie that beat it, the movie that beat it was a movie that in the summer of, of 1989, I had something, well, two things that I had never had before. One was a girlfriend, and the other was cable. And when you combine a girlfriend and cable, well, you just usually ignore the cable. But I actually sat and watched this film at one point during the summer of 1989, Say Anything, Ioni Sky and uh, John Cusack. For me, the the quintessential John Cusack movie. The story of a creepy kid who falls in love with a smart girl he has no chance with, actually manages to seal the deal, and then all of the stupid high school bullcrap that happens around them over the course of a summer. And it's a it's a very small, very personal, very real story to the point where nobody is, you know. Nobody is like movie cute or movie smart. Right. Nobody is over the top. It's a goofy kid who thinks he's going to make a living out of kickboxing. And it has some just amazing dialogue. Uh, Cameron Crowe, I think it may have been his first movie. I don't know. Cameron Crowe puts this thing together. And if you've ever seen a Cameron Crowe movie, this is literally like a, a Cameron Crowe freeze dried time capsule where right. you just take the little pill and it's like space food of Cameron Crowe. Love this movie. I can quote this movie back and forth. It has uh, Frazier's dad as Diane's dad. Yeah, John And Mahoney. a subplot that's just, yeah, a subplot that is particularly bizarre because this teen love story and also her dad is being investigated by the IRS for bilking old people out of their <laughs> money in his, uh, in his rest home. And it's really bizarre. It has, um, Lily Taylor. As this teenage girl who's in love with a loser and Lily Taylor just playing it to the hilt and singing her little love songs. Joe Nice. 
love this movie up and down. You should go see it right now, Rodrigo. Have you, have you seen this? This is the I one. Have, this is I the have, famous yes, jukebox over this. there, the uh, boombox over the head. I was looking. I was trying to look down the credits to see if uh, Joan Cusack was also in this movie because I, it I seems to be is. that she yeah. appears in a Joan, lot of his movies. Joan is his big sister. He actually lives with Joan oh, that's in right. an apartment okay. because uh, their parents are in Germany. Right. Yeah. His good dad's one. in the Air Force. Good one, good one, good one. Number one, Matthew's list. Say anything from 1980. Rodrigo, your turn. Number one. Uh, Number one movie for me from the 80s is, of course, An American Werewolf in London. Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm. Because... Again, another movie that uses practical effects. That's right. It's a horror, comedy, tragedy buddy picture <laughs> i love that part where the little old lady gets mutilated late one night yep yeah um that that's the uh you call out part is good too. yes <laughs> his hair was perfect anyway um yeah, chinese menu in his head. yep that's right <laughs> we we will assemble this song Peace. one line at a time Peace. but certainly not in order because that requires for that will that will probably require Matthew to break your speakers by howling, and we're not gonna go there. Speaking of the speaking of the howling, this movie's better than that. Yes, we, um, I think we talked about that before. Haven't I we? think yeah. We compared, oh, when we were doing our werewolf poll, yep, you had talked about uh, this is one of your favorite movies. Um, <laughs> God, keep He's it together, Matthew. Keep it together. <laughs> <laughs> Werewolf pole is funny. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, the, you know, I've talked about this movie before. It's um, I I've seen interviews with John Landis where he's like, you know, nobody wanted to, nobody wanted this movie. Yeah, yeah. They looked at it and there's like, it's too funny to be a horror movie and it's too scary to be a comedy, and nobody wanted to do it. And eventually, you know, he got it made. And as far as I'm concerned, it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. It's got great special effects it's truly horrifying i mean the, oh yeah it is it's the scary, scenes with yeah. the werewolf are, are just frightening any any scene where the werewolf is not is incredibly scary um and this is john baker i think doing the mm-hmm. doing the uh, um it's got a it's got makeup. a great it's got a great sex scene yeah um it's got awesome characters you know there's those like frank oz is in it mm-hmm. um it's got you know that uh that old school uh doctor the bumbling police this the creepy townies you know and all of those very quickly become characters you can see and and very quickly they let you know who they are and and Mm -hmm. what their stake in all this is and in the end you know the the protagonist dies oh spoiler alert yeah i know god here's interesting this is really fascinating when you go back into imdb and you look at the budgets on on these Mm -hmm. american werewolf in london $10 $10 million estimated budget to make this movie. $10 million. Today, that would be an astronomical amount. I don't know what the, the remake did. The one with the... Uh, oh. Uh, what's his face? Gear, no, uh, bah, bah, bah. Oh, the Wolfman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Wolfman one. That wasn't really a remake of eh, American Yeah, you're Wolf. right. But I mean, it's a werewolf film. Sure. Uh, probably $200 million. $100 million to mm-hmm. do that. Movie grossed three times what it cost to to make. Nice. That's 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 really exceptional for, for 1981. All right, top one for me. I think everybody should uh, should know it by now. 
course, it's written down on your guys' notes. Uh-huh. Raiders of the Lost Ark, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, 1980. Sat in that film not knowing anything about it again. Sat there, went with my good friend, uh, went with my parents and my little sister. Boy, she would have been like four at the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, she must have stayed at the, at the friend's house, at my friend's house with, mm-hmm. uh, with his mom. Because that would have been too freaky for her, especially when the snake comes out of the mouth yep. and the uh, well of the souls. I sat there and watched that movie, and about halfway through, I said, this is what I want to do. I want to be an archaeologist in the 1940s, mm. fighting Nazis. <laughs> I said, I wanted to be involved in film and television, and after that, slavish fan to Steven Spielberg all the way up until Hook mm-hmm. uh, about 10 years later. But uh, I went back and had to go see Jaws. I had to go see... Um, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I had to go see all of his films before this movie and just followed all of his mo- uh, 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 movies after. Mm-hmm. Just this great story of it's very serial oriented. Yep. It's this homage to the to the movies of that of that time period of yeah. the great movie serials. Yeah, it's got where you have arms and, and- <laughs> you you've got this archaeologist who is hired by the government to bring back the lost Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. And in the process, he goes up against Nazis. He goes up against uh, extreme conditions. He goes up against a Frenchman <gasps> and snakes. His worst fear of all time. Mm-hmm. Snakes, not Frenchmen. Right. Uh, and then, of course, there's a little bit of a love interest with, uh, with Karen Allen. Mm-hmm. It's got Harrison Ford in it. I mean, this is, I mean, if you've been watching Raiders of the... I mean, if you uh, watch Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, here's Raiders of the Lost Ark coming out the same year that Empire Strikes Back did. How could you not want to go see this movie? Great John Williams score. The, again, this is another movie that got me hooked on John Williams, where I had to go and find everything else that he had done, mm-hmm. and over the years just cultivated this love and passion for John Williams' music. Although years later, after I'd listened to enough of it, I'm like, you know, you hear the same theme, sure, repetition sure. going on throughout and throughout. And that's, that's another good example of them being like, just do your thing, John Williams, and yeah, then yeah. him, you know. Because if you give him the direction of, like, make sure this sounds like it comes from the 1940s right, right. or whatever, then yeah, there's yeah. something there. Yeah, I'm sorry, Raiders of the Lost Ark, 1981, not 1980. Okay. Uh, but still a fantastic movie. Fantastic po- poster. The, um, I forgot uh, the guy's name who does all, all the, all the uh, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas art. Mm-hmm. Um, very well known. Um, but again, it's, it's one of my favorite. It is, it is my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. By far. And, you know... And Matthew chooses to ignore the first three movies in the Star Wars uh, line. I choose to re- to disregard everything after Raiders of the Lost Ark. Really, that you can't that much? Call them you... the first three if they come <laughs> well, out in the, twenty years in the, later. In the lineup of how you're supposed to watch no, them, in the order that you're supposed work to watch that them. Way. Well, fine. The the most they're recent Star cons, Wars movies. There's zero issues. I this their is, dreams. Their hopes. I, their I will take Raiders stories. of the Lost Ark and I will encapsulate it and I will love it and cherish it and treat it. I will take it home and I'll love it and, and call, call it, it my own. Call it George. Um, even though it had George Lucas's hand all over it, yep. but. Uh, um, Temple of Doom. A lot of people love that. Don't really care for that as much. Mm-hmm. Um, the Last uh, Crusade. The Last Crusade. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. I, left I, I, I still I haven't it. seen it. There you go, listeners. Our top five movies from the 80s. Part of our big five-year celebration at Major Spoilers. We're going to be back tomorrow talking about another top five. Are you sitting on the edge of your seat and waiting to find out what that topic is? You're going to have to wait 24 hours at least. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. 
Visit Major Spoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven reads like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers is copyright 2011